This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Right, um, we're now approaching, we're going towards the Vardak. The Vardak is really um, an extraordinarily different type of yeshiva. It was a movement, the yeshiva. It was, it was something um, very, very different in the panorama of the yeshiva world. Um, the, the founding father of Navardic was Rabbi Yosef Yezel Navardic. He represented one of the three major streams of Muslim movement. Um, and his own personal Tchunas uh, Anefesh, his own personal character was extraordinarily extreme. Um, and he built the yeshiva around it. He was somebody who was uh, worked as a merchant. He was taken in by Musa, dropped everything, closed us all from the world for a few years um, to an extreme that, that he became sort of a bit of a lightning rod for the Maskilim, who portrayed him as some sort of um, monstrous crackpot. Um, Rabbi Yitzchak Hanuspekta sent shluchim to him that he should stop Aman Hashem, and so on. He ended up founding a yeshiva in 1896. His um, personal philosophy, his Muslim philosophy, was first of all, people, most of people's decisions, the vast majority, if not all of them, are made by personal negias by personal um, sense of comfort. Seichel and what's right plays a minor role in making decisions. And unless a person works on himself incessantly and breaks himself down to pieces, he's never going to make honest decisions. There was one principle that was very important to him. Second one was that there is no way a person can compromise with truth. A com- any the smallest compromise, for whatever reason, is basically a total capitulation. Whatever the cost is, he also um, so, so he built up a whole Muslim movement, which strongly believed in a lot of Muslim learning, um, constant working in groups, chavruses, etc where you sort of break yourself down a lot of you know come off it you're full of it you're not real he also believed that unless people do practical exercises to learn how not to care about anything and anybody they always will do what everybody anything expects of them and he gave a marshal a sort of more of a description of typical than a marshal he said, people travel on a train. Now, those days, train rides took a long, long, long time. Um, they, they could go for days. They were, they, people sat in compartments, which was two benches, um, facing two benches, and like a little wall around. And you didn't know who your seatmates were. They could be people who didn't see, who didn't um, care particularly for your religious beliefs or practices. In the morning, putting on film was not extremely pleasant. 
So here is somebody who is a shame to our mitzvahs, never missed a day in Tfilin. He's sitting over there and he's in the morning he has to put on film and he has three companions that have uh, different sheetas about film than he does so he's sitting there and all of a sudden he says you know my stomach isn't feeling so well i'm not sure that i have a gufnaki i i, I maybe i should be machim and not put on film because of a gufnaki and he'll not put on film kahena kahena. a story about him is he had to make a decision about whether to intervene or not in something that was happening in a town across Russia. He took a train there, um, you know, and with all of the difficulty of traveling. When he got there, he sat down and made a cheshman effort should he intervene or not, decided against it and went back home. But he said that if he would have made that decision from the comfort of his home, he would have uh, realized, he would have suspected that it's simply a lack of a desire to travel. The Bachrim in the yeshiva practiced that. They would sit and they would, first of all, have these musafadim where people would talk about themselves and how terrible they are and stuff like that. That was one thing that was not uncommon. Two, they would go to stores and ask for crazy things so that they would be shouted out, left out, etc. And basically, it taught them don't give a damn about what the world thinks or says or looks at you and um, it makes no difference whatsoever that was very strong working on bitochen which again was a test of how MS you were they could go into a forest for days without taking anything along with them and then um, being sure that will be something for them those were the type of activities that were extremely um, this was common Musa activities in the Nevada movement. There was another facet to the movement, uh, another two facets maybe, that were not directly connected with this, but radically different other yeshivas. They were something like Chabadis today in terms of outreach. Zikri Arabim was one of the most important things, and the Matzav in Europe was very bad. People were going from good to less to little to nothing and making yeshivas in every place was extremely important to him made no difference how no planning yeshivas would survive as such a description that i once read of him making a yeshiva someplace was um they took out a map of russia and somebody stuck a pin in at random and they took a look, oh, this is this town. Whoa, this town really needs a yeshiva. Okay, you, Yankel, is going to be the Rosh Yeshiva, and Chaim is going to be the Mashgiach. And, and then they would ask, if they need something to yeshiva, does anybody have maybe a jacket to give to the new Rosh Yeshiva? He would get a jacket from somebody, and they were out. They had to figure a way how to get the train expenses to get to that town. They would come to the town, they would have a shachris in the shul, they would give, they would announce that the yeshiva of such and such a town has just opened up. And the oilam is welcome to come learn. And then they would go to the streets and drag in every random kid they found. I mean, ages ranging from 10 to 20 and schlep them into the yeshiva. Lunchtime, somebody would go around from house to house asking if anybody would like to donate bread for the yeshiva. That was what it looked like. 
um, they had at the high count, they had I think 70 quote-unquote yeshivas across um, Europe, Russia, Poland, they um, were extremely, they were, they were kids that they saved, and Reb Shmuel Brutney started over there, Reb Shmuel Birnbaum learned. Again, it was sort of a pickup station where they took kids who never would have dreamt of going to yeshiva, simply dragged them in, literally and figuratively, and kids that were later on stronger, they would um, go on to strong yeshivas, and, and they fed yeshivas sort of laterally, I would say is the right word of saying it. Um, it wasn't, you know, from bottom up like, like Baranovich, but it was their own thing. Remember also, Baranovich was also started by Navaric, by the way. The yeshiva itself, the Alta Navaric died at the end of World War One. He was attending sick Bachrim and he caught typhus and he died. But he had constructed the yeshiva in a way that was a movement. They would they would come together once a year. There would be a, there, there there was a journal of Musa writings from all the, from all Talmidim. He, he had left it as a movement rather than just one person. And that was part of his foresight. And that was part of his uh, mindset that it's a movement to bring of Zikirabim, and it allowed it between the wars to survive and so on. And they stood up to the communists. And many of them were arrested and so on, but there are many daring stories of them, how they stood up. There were stories of extraordinary mysterious nefesh. You know, as they worked on mysterious nefesh, they practiced it, and in a time of test, they were able to, um, they were able to withstand things that one else was able to withstand. It, because it was so extreme, it, it, it was a lightning rod for a lot of criticism. When people wanted to, um, when people wanted to associate the Muslim movement, they would choose their minhagim as the, as the ones to, you know, to, to use as a, uh, you know, a caricature maybe of the, of the movement. The Maskilim used them as a character. Um, there was a famous Jewish writer, Chaim Grada, was thrown out of the Navardic Yeshiva and he wrote a book where the Chazanish was the good guy and the Vardic was the bad guy. It was it was kind of autobiographical in nature. The Chazanish tried very hard to be the care of him. The Navardic, the Roshiva Navardic Yeshiva had it out with him about it and so on. Very, very interesting um, in descriptions of, of the Yeshiva and so on. What? He has many books, I've got, yeah. Shabbos and Bullock, he, he's, uh, but, but, uh, but, but, uh, just saying, Nevarek was chosen because of extreme. The, um, I'll, I'll say, I guess I'll say over what the Chaim Shulevitz would say about it, and it was a certain, a certain perspective, I guess, coming from the mirror about Nevarek. The Chaim Shulevitz's mother was a daughter of the Alpha Nevarek. His father was a son-in-law, tremendous Talmud Chacham, tremendous Balmasbeh. He took him for the yeshiva, Dalton took him into the yeshiva to be um, a, a Rosh Hashiva there. When the shir was over, Musa would start. Bechram was so enamored with the shir that they hung around to speak to him and learning. So the first time it happened that Bechram was speaking to him and learning, Musa said that the Alton Nevadic warned him. 
It happened the second time. The Alternavardic gave him a patch and sent him out of yeshiva never to be seen again. That's how strong-minded he was. He sent out the he sent out the Shulevitz. The Alta's wife was nifta. The Alta's daughter was nifta. Not not uh, too long afterwards. Um, Reb Alta was nifta. His kids were yisayimim. By this time already, the Alta Nevardik himself had been and was passed away. And they grew up with their uncle, Reb Avram Yafin, who was another son-in-law of the Alta Nevardik, as sort of their father figure. So Reb would say. The world outside is freezing. Navardic is a red hot furnace. When you're freezing, you come in and warm yourself up. And Abhaim would go in for a few days, every so often and stay in Navardic and you go back. And he would say, but if you stay around too long, a burning furnace, you burn to a crisp. In other words, he felt that that's that's passionate um, in Musa that they had, that extreme passion Musa was vital as an ingredient to that world, but it could not become something that would last on its own. That was Abhayashat's perspective on it. And I think history is probably, um, has passed that judgment. The movement accomplished incredible things. It did not survive. It didn't survive after the war, um, it was over. They've tried in quite a few places to establish yeshivas, Nevadic yeshivas. Gates had his name Beisaisim because it was established uh, by a Nevadic empowerment um, in, in Eretz Yisrael, in, 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 in Bnei Brak, in Yerushalayim. Um, in many, many places in the world, they tried to establish Nevadic yeshivas. It's not the Dorfer, it's not the place, not the time. There was one place where Nevada Yeshiva was Matzliach, um, and that was France, where Gershon Libman was a Nevada Talmud. The Yeshiva was Matzliach, a lot to do with his personality. He was an he was a Nevada in every full sense of the word. Um, I had a friend of mine, Chavus in the Me Yeshiva, who learned there, a great guy, and he once told me he he, said, he made two comments about his stay in Nevada. He said, it was the most incredible tkuf in his life. And if he would have stayed there any longer, he'd been an insane asylum. That was the way he described his two conflicting feelings about it, which I guess dovetails very strongly with Rebbein Shavitz's comment. It, it demanded a certain negation of self, a certain total disassociation from the world, a certain total uncertainty of future, um, in ways that basically make it almost impossible to survive. Um, nothing remained over here, uh, Ellie tells me. There's nothing in the town of the yeshiva left. The, if the truth is, after the automatic was nifta, the, um, the, 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 the center of the yeshiva passed on to Romyafin's yeshiva in Bialystok. Pins became a very important pins. Bialystok were two of the most important men cousins. They also put out um, songs. They, they used to make their only good. It was like a movement. There was a lot more than the yeshiva. Recently, they put out one or two um, CDs of of, um, of the nigunim. I have them at home. They're most of them are Yiddish. But it's interesting that you hear the nigunim. It's it's it, there's one 
where it's called Yanko the Yanko, they have a long version, short version. He's yearning for Mashiach comes. So he says, when Mashiach comes, so there's going to be very strong Merkazim. The, the Varaki Yeshivas were built that there was a Merkazi, like a central Yeshiva, with these outreach places, all these Derfa. They were called Sniffin. So he said, ah, how wonderful it's going to be, very strong Merkazim and a sniff in every town. It's very, it's, 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 it's extraordinary, it's, it's a whole different feel of things, um, and so on. I'll call him, um, so the only thing that he wrote us is, is they collected his schmoozen in a safer called Madrega Sodom. That's available, it's around, it's printed, reprinted. And like I said, you know, he had many children and grandchildren, big Tamir Chachamim. The Alderbadik's daughter, Rebbe Tzinyafin, lived right underneath my father-in-law. I remember her well. She was very close with, with our family, with my father's family, and very close to my wife. She, um, she was an extraordinarily sharp-witted person, um, kind of very incisive person. But the, that was it. So it was it was a movement in yeshiva that rose for its kufa, made a very powerful impact, and then it's it's uh, the impact it had became part and parcel of, of everything else in, in the yeshiva world. Um, there's one more. There's a caver of, of the Rachasholchen Avardik. The Rachasholchen was a Robert Avardik. He was very old school. Ahmed Chacham, Rav, he was lived in 1906, I think. He, um, he it's, even though he had no real shares with the Muslim movement, he happily defended the Vardic Yeshiva against all detractors. He realized that without a very strong Yeshiva, nothing's going to happen, um, and so on. And he stood up for that, which was really incredible. His Sefer HaSholchen was a major work. It's, 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 you know, when you when you deal with Paiskim, you count it as amongst the, you know, Chashava Paiskim, and his, his Shittas and so on, because his late is counted in as being very important. He's buried there in the Besakars, who's lived in 1906, I think. Um, and the, the Torah to of everybody probably knows is his son. Like upon him, that's uh, where we're going to now. Those swarm available, the ones they put out, the pamphlets? What? Those pamphlets, are they available? So the, the pamphlets were put together in a safe called Madrigas Adam. Oh, it's in the same. There's also, there's a big set, it's about 15 volumes, um, available at our yeshiva, and today in Azachach, everything's available. It's called, um, it's a blue set, 15 volumes, it's not called, or a, maybe or a Musser or something like that. It has they collected any anything that a, that an Avadika wrote on, on the parasha Musa, They would they would they collected it. And they put it together. So um, it's 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 that's available also. They, they they would they very much had things like like periodicals for all the Musser Shmuz and all the movements, so that they would they would feel that there's a commonality of the Vardic. Were, I mean, I'm very, I'm very close to the Vedic. Right. Rami Afin was also the Vedic? Yeah, but Rami Afin was a son of Lord of the Vedic. It's hard to describe him as a Vedic. 
you know, his personality was not his children or anything but. Um, they were very chilled all, out. Huh? Very chilled out. <laughs> yeah, they're all very, very chosh with Talmud Chachamim. Reb Aaron Yafin was an extraordinary Talmud Chacham. To describe him as a Barakah would be difficult. Also hard to describe as the Barakah. But, you know, they were very close with the Rebbe Yafin. She, she was like a dolly. She was an extraordinary sharp-witted woman. Very bright, very good together, and so on. Um, yeah. By the way, a, a, a story that would um, sort of, I guess, embody the Alton of Varnik's extreme. One day, somebody, a, 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 a modern-looking person, gets off the train in the Varnik, and he comes to the Alta, and he says, I'm a professor at university. I've heard very, very much things about you, and I'd like to come study at the Varnik. The Alta said, fantastic. No, he said, I would like to come down, I would like to come and discuss and discuss philosophy with you. He said, fantastic, my time is for you, let's sit down. But one ground rule, we're going to spend a week talking. If you're right, I'm tossing my yarmulke out the window, I'm leaving everything here, and I'm going to university with you. If I'm right, you're staying here and you're learning yeshiva. So he said, hey, Rabbi, it means so extreme, I just wanted to discuss. He said, life is too short for discussions. Life is to pursue the Emmis. I'm willing to recognize that the Emmis by you, I will drop it all. But I need you to recognize that if the Emmis by me, you stay. He didn't take him up in the offer. That's the, that's the, um, that's a, that's a typical, uh, that's, that's really what he felt believed. 